afternoon, everybody, and welcome to today, today, today's discussion, Race Matters, Ethical Implications of COVID-19, with me, Dr. Roberta K. Timothy. I want to first start with a land acknowledgement. The sacred land on which this discussion is taking place has been a site of human activity for 13,000 years. This land is the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wanda. Toronto is the home to many Indigenous people from across Turtle Island, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to speak to you on this territory. I also acknowledge and stand by the 94 calls to action stemming from the ongoing trauma and health impact of residential school systems, laid out by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and I support the national inquiry findings into the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. I also want to do an ancestral acknowledgement. We honor our ancestors of African descent, who are intrinsically linked to this land and who fought for their survival. Their lessons and sacrifices have led us to gather here today. We ask you to take a moment to reflect and honor our ancestors, those who have now journeyed to provide the footprints on which we stand today. Land and ancestral acknowledgements are ethical practices in my worldview and are critical to set the context and location of my conversation with you today. I first want to locate myself. I identify as an African, African diasporic woman, womanist, feminist, surviving African enslavement from a working class background, daughter of immigrants via the Caribbean, Latin America, mother of two, living and resisting with a visual disability in Turtle Island, Canada. I'm an educator, researcher, community organizer, and therapist with over 25 years of community health and intersectional anti-oppression, anti-colonial practice and experience. I'm also an interdisciplinary scholar who has written, taught, and researched on issues pertaining to anti-racism, decolonizing health, intersectionality, critical social determinants of health, health ethics, global health, anti-oppression political economy, Black, Indigenous, racialized, and marginalized population health, resistance, and anti-oppression psychotherapy, to name a few. I want to now define the conversation that we'll have today. This conversation will address why race and other intersectional, intersectional factors, such as gender, gender identity, disability, sexual orientation, class, age, religion, and spirituality, and immigration status, to name a few, matters. And why is it implicated in unethical, historical, and con contemporary responses to the health of Black, Indigenous, racialized, and marginalized populations? Hence, we need to discuss this as the context prior and during the COVID-19 pandemic. Number two, in terms of defining this conversation, I'd like to utilize an intersectional decolonizing framework. I will talk about the ethical dilemmas within the COVID-19 responses, critically looking at the five major moral principles often used in Western Eurocentric knowledge, knowledge systems in healthcare, non-maleficence, beneficence, utility, distributive justice, and autonomy. The reason why I'm using these quote unquote moral principles is that this framework is used locally and globally to, to dictate medical healthcare services, practices, policies, and actions in hospitals, healthcare training, and in literature all over the world. I will discuss how this is directly related to colonial structural violence. Thirdly or finally, I will end our discussion today with a new definition of ethics and some thoughts on how to challenge and change our current unethical responses to COVID-19 in the lives of Black, Indigenous, racialized, and marginalized communities. I also want to start with three key terms. 
there's many definitions that I'm gonna talk about today, but these three have many, many uh, meanings. And these are three that I will share with you today. Ethics, five, ethics, the five major moral principles and ethical dilemmas. Now ethics, this is according to government of Canada, can be defined as derived from the Greek word ethos, which means quote unquote way of living. Ethic is a branch of philosophy that is concerned with human conduct, more specifically the behavior of individuals in society. Ethics, ethics examines the rational justification for our moral judgments. It studies what is morally right or wrong, just or unjust. The five major moral principles, this is a quick definition. Non-maleficence, duty to do good and no harm. Beneficence, healthcare providers should act in ways that promote the welfare of other people. Utility, we should act in a way that brings the greatest benefit and least harm to the largest number of people. Distributive justice means we need to distri distribute in a just way social benefits and burdens that come with healthcare. And there are three principles under distributive justice. Principle of equality, all benefits and burdens are to be distributed equally. Principle of need, this principle stresses that people with greater needs should receive a greater share of goods that are parceled out. And principle of contribution, this principle states that everyone should get back that proportion of social good that is the result of their productive labor. Very important principle, particularly when we're talking about COVID. And principle number six, autonomy. People should be allowed to be self-determining. That is to be make that is to make their own choices about their own person. To deny someone autonomy is to treat someone as something less than a person. The third definition that I'm gonna give today is ethical dilemma. This is a short definition. For Two conditions must be met in terms of two or more ethical principles are relevant to the situation and the principles make conflicting demands upon the people involved in the situation. So in an ethical dilemma, two conditions must be met, two or more ethical principles are relevant to the situation and the principles make conflicting demands upon the people involved in the situation. Now I'm gonna talk briefly about the historical and current day context of health ethics before COVID-19. And this is critical to understanding the COVID-19 and health disparities in African, Indigenous, and racialized folks' lives. Canada is a white settler colony that displaced Indigenous communities by utilizing anti-Indigenous racism and other acts of colonial violence, such as genocide and residential schools, for over 500 years. The health disparities faced by Indigenous peoples is intrinsically linked to the nation-building of Canada and the continued experiences of an unethical policies and governance related to the Indian Act and other colonial realities. Anti-Indigenous racism impacts the lives of Indigenous peoples. Another example are people of African ancestry in Canada. They have a history of colonial violence that started in villages throughout the African region as families were brutally torn apart, separated forever on the shores of African enslavement ports that through the Middle Passage and forced migration to the Caribbean, Latin and South America, Europe, the United States and Canada, to name a few, made up the Atlantic transatlantic slave trade. Black folks that survived were then bought as property and generations worked with no pay and with daily experiences of sexual, physical, mental, spiritual, and financial violence. The unethical practices of colonial violence on the lives of Black communities locally and globally are directly related to transgenerational trauma and health disparities that Im impact Black health today. Another example of historical unethical practices is the Code Noir, or called Black Code an anti-Black racist policy forcing baptisms and decreed the conversion to Catholicism, Catholicism of enslaved Black people. 
restricting rights and freedom. The Code Narwhal was a decree originally passed by France Kings Louis XIV in 1685. The Code Noir and later on other state policies in New France, which was eventually Canada, successfully policed slavery and Black folks' life. This directly connects to current day unethical practices of racial profiling, carding, increased incarceration, poverty, and structural violence in the lives of Black people today. The Slavery Abolition Act of 1833 banned enslavement of African people. However, the ideologies, practices, and actions of intersectional, unethical colonial violence and anti-Black racism continue to impact the health of Black communities today. I want to talk quickly about or mention some key unethical Canadian policies and practices and institutions that impact health for Indigenous, African, and marginalized populations. And this, again, is before COVID. The acts of genocide, which I talked about, transatlantic slave trade, the Indian Act, British North American Act, the right to vote, 60 scoop, racialized immigration policies, Chinese Exclusion Act, Komagatsu Maru, Japanese internment camps, criminalization of homosexuality until 1969, bathhouse raids in gay bars, Haitian and Vietnam, Vietnamese immigration, and those are directly co connected to um, earlier militarization and independence movements in Haiti and militarization in Vietnam. And more recently, I want to talk a little bit about some global policies that are also unethical in terms of and creating health violence within Indigenous, African, and racialized people's lives. Structural adjustment programs are forced privatization in both North and South countries that have cut social spending in the guise to cut debt. Devastatingly impacted healthcare services and health comes. Particularly, this impacts Black, Indigenous, and marginalized folks' lives the most. Also, continued militarization and globalization destabilizes economies and creates mass refugee migration. Example, the impact of Afghanistan, Syria, Sudan, Congo, and boycotts in Cuba, Iran, and Venezuela. Mass resource acquisition from, from and cheap production in countries struggling based on past colonial relations are all examples of global policies that are unethical that impact Indigenous, African, and racialized folks. Now, I quickly want to mention something that is really important in terms of the before COVID and also makes us think about unethical, uh, unethical practice, particularly locally and globally. So I want to quickly talk about the historical unethical scientific experimentation. And examples are African enslavement experiments, example smallpox, inoculation in a population of 850 enslaved people during the 1768 epidemic in Jamaica from British colonial rule, indigenous residential school nutrition experiments in Canada and, and United States, indigenous sanatorium survivors experiments, Shark Island concentration camp experiments in Namibia, which then led to the Holocaust experiments in Germany, Tuskegee syphilis trials in Alabama from 1932 to 1972, Guatemala syphilis experiments, Henry, Henrietta Lacks using herself without permission, another anti-Black racism or exploitation of a Black woman, institutionalization and sterilization of people living with disabilities are all some examples of unethical scientific experimentation which leads to the current practices of unethical practices for Black, racialized, and Indigenous communities. I also want to say in terms of uh, hate crimes, we know that in hate crimes are police reported hate crimes in Canada. The most, uh, the most groups of people who are reported or report the most hate crimes are Black people. And we know that people who are LGBTQ 
queer folks are also um, high, high numbers in hate crimes. And more recently, people in terms of uh, Muslim backgrounds and dealing with Islamophobia. And it will be interesting to see what's what will happen in terms of the Asian community with all of the anti-Asian racism right now due to COVID. So looking at Canadian policies briefly, I wanna quickly talk about the local and global um, impacts looking at the five moral principles. So how are these unethical um, looking at these five principles? So when we look at maleficence in terms of what I've already shared with you the historical and current context before COVID, harm was caused. If we look at beneficence, they did not promote the welfare of racialized people. If we look at utility, actions caused the greatest benefit to the least amount of people and the greatest harm to the largest number of people in terms of the Canadian policies and local and global scientific experiments that sanctioned, sanctioned by colonial and white settler governments. Distributive, distributive justice, the fight for apologies and truth, truth and reconciliation, African reparations tells us justice has not occurred for labor production and resources stolen. It's May 1st, everybody, happy Labor Day. Also autonomy, example, Oka, the recent Wet'suwet'en Nation, indigenous fight for land rights against oil and mining, the overrepresentation of indigenous and black people in jail, in CAS, housing and income insecurities and precarious work let us know that autonomy is also impacted in terms of the Canadian policies and uh, global scientific experiments. So the results of an ethical colonial violence equals health disparities. Some Indigenous people's health impacts before COVID. 82% of Inuit living in Inuit Nunagat reported that they did not have a family doctor. In comparison, less than one in five Canadians did not have a family doctor. Among First Nation people, 23.1% live in unsuitable housing, and the proportion was much higher on reserve, 36.8% than off reserve, 16.0%. In comparison, 8.5% of the non-Indigenous population was living in housing that was considered unsuitable. Among First Nation adults aged 50 and older living off reserve, 36% reported having high blood pressure, and 20% reported having diabetes. In comparison, 33% of all Canadians aged 50 and older reported having high blood pressure and 14% reported having diabetes. So the impact of, anti of colonialism or colonial violence and anti-Indigenous racism impacts has created health disparities in Indigenous people's health. Some impacts of uh, health and health disparities in African Black communities. An interior study determined that from 2001 to 2012, Diabetes rates doubled among Black women from 6% to 12%. Among ethnic communities, Black women have had the most drastic increase in rates of high blood pressure, increasing from 20% in 2001 to 27% in 2012. 24% of Black Ontarians qualify as quote unquote low income as compared to 14.4% of the general racialized Ontario population. 41% of all children and youth are in care apprehended by the Toronto Children's Aid Society are Black. If you're Black in Halifax, you're six times more likely to be carded by police compared to white counterparts. Hence, before COVID-19, Indigenous, African, racialized and marginalized communities have already been dealing with health disparities. Now what happens during COVID-19, the pandemic? First, I wanna talk about the global COVID response and the ethical implications within this response. So China in late December announced first, the first cases of what we know now as COVID-19 in Wuhan. 
little preventative response was taken by world leaders. In action, an increased acts of anti-Asian racism and hate crimes were what was, was, was what happened. Western nations focused on blaming China for how they handled coronavirus. US, US government or US Trump later calling it a quote unquote Chinese virus. Little empathy was given for loss of Chinese life by leaders and Western media. Italy and Europe's media reported differently. Lives that lo were lost there seemed to matter. Global COVID responses also in terms of early January, 2020, when Dr. Tedros, the Director of General of the, of the WHO, an, an Ethiopian microbiologist and internationally recognized malaria researcher, warned world leaders to take this new virus seriously based on inaction by the global leaders. What is the impact of anti-Black racism on the world leaders, what seemed to be inaction? Did Dr. Tedros, being an African person, impact the world's inaction? Who also went through an investigation of the agency in 2019, which many people don't know, for racism against Africans working there? US leaders focused on delegitimizing Dr. Chedro's decisions and threatened to take fundings away from countries that needed it. While Black, Indigenous, and Latin American lives are lost in the thousands in US reported race-based data, little is done to save racialized lives. In UK, Spain, Italy, and Canada, race-based impact is not mentioned until approximately five weeks ago and continuously dismissed as not a risk factor by most governments and public health leaders. This totally connects to the historical realities of colonialization and racism that impact African, Black, and Indigenous peoples. Now we're looking at Black, Indigenous, racialized, and marginalized communities and health impact of COVID-19. What, what is the health impact now that we know the historical context and some of the current day um, the health disparities before COVID-19? We know underlying conditions related to racism, intersectional violence, and transgenerational trauma increased risk. So we're looking at diabetes, we're looking at high, higher, um, higher levels of blood, of, uh, blood pressure. We know that there's a, a deep connection to the experience of racist violence and colonial violence and un underlying conditions. And we know that Black, Indigenous, and racialized and marginalized folks are increased risk in terms of um, getting COVID. We also know based on some of the historical and current day context that I spoke about earlier, that there is mistrust in the healthcare system due to past experiences of health violence. Example of some of the scientific experimentation that I spoke about. We also know that there's biases by health practitioners. And we also know that working in low paying jobs and food with food insecurity is something that many indigenous black and racialized and marginalized communities face before COVID. And now that these realities have increased during COVID. We also, talk, we also know that the, there's an overrepresentation of Black, Indigenous, racialized, and marginalized folks in service provider work. We can see it as in PSWs, we can see it in migrant work, we can see it in terms of cleaners in the hospital and other, other, other precarious workers or people who are, who are working with less power in decision-making. We also know that racial profiling and police surveillance happens and it has increased during, during COVID-19. We also just also want to talk a little bit about overcrowding in housing. We know that there's multi-generational homes that Black, racialized, and Indigenous folks are living in, and that increased the risk of getting contracting COVID-19. I also want to just quickly mention that a lot of the, the coverage um, in terms of talking about elders 
and un underlying conditions um, took on a very ageist and ableist dialogue regarding death and almost who was who was able to, um, to, to die or what we thought about dying looked like a kind of eugenic-like ideology and action. And we also know that when people were talking about numbers, particularly in Canada of age and of gender, again, they weren't talking about intersectional factors. Race wasn't mentioned, factors such as chronic health weren't mentioned, factors such as um, you know, um, housing, housing insecurity or income insecurity, they weren't mentioned in terms of people who were contracting COVID-19. So unethical practices and policies exist in the Canadian context and the global context. We know that these unethical policies have continued during COVID-19 in terms of the policies and recommendations or lack of from government and public health response. In terms of lack of race-based and intersectional data, uh, even though there is uh, Toronto and Peel have now committed to collecting race-based data, we don't know who's gonna analyze it. And there's still a history of surveillance that has happened, particularly in the Black and Indigenous community. So we don't know what's going to happen with that. So lack of race-based data in terms of COVID-19 is definitely an unethical policy and practice. Lack of rent freeze. We know that people are now losing their jobs, um, have lots of um, insecurities with income, and they had that before COVID. And not having a rent freeze policy is an unethical practice and definitely impacting African and Indigenous racialized and marginalized folks. Also in terms of overrepresentation of migrant workers, you know, there's a lot of migrant workers who come from the Caribbean, who come from Mexico and other Central American countries who are now at risk of getting COVID. And we know that in the quarters, which were, weren't good before and there were living conditions which were pretty problematic before COVID-19 still exist today. And it's not really talking, being talked about or being problematized in terms of a policy. Um, also, in terms of undocumented, we have undocumented folks who are being turned away from hospitals because they're not getting services. And we also have our, our, um, our community members who are dealing with incarceration. And we know that the prison, prisoners or people who are incarcerated and living in prisons or staying in prisons or institutionalized in prisons are now um, having higher levels of COVID-19 um, impact. I also want to mention the business loans. There's a you know a program for Canadian government offering business loans, and this is not focusing on informal work. And a lot of our businesses, in particularly Indigenous and Black and marginalized folks, uh, we're not able to get the the business loans, and we do a lot of business uh, informally. And because we don't have a relationship with the bank, we're not having money, and we're not getting funding. Another um, unethical policy or lack of policy within the Canadian context is a lack of policies related directly to racism and intersectional violence. We do have Canadian Human Rights Code and we do have a lot of, um, we have the anti-racism directive which, which was underfunded, but we don't have a direct policy related to racism and intersectional violence. And I think that that's not only unethical but also problematic and we can see the impact on the lives of African Indigenous people in Canada and globally. Social distancing is a, is a great challenge in COVID-19 for, in, for Indigenous African marginalized communities. And um, we know that there's a, that challenge is not being addressed adequately. We also know that children in Children's Aid Society, some folks have not seen their families, their, their parents have not seen their children for over a month. You know, with the history of um, African enslavement and residential schools for African and um, Indigenous populations it is very disheartening and problematic that children cannot see their families. And again, creates a, a separation of families uh, for these communities and creates health harm and health violence. 
also in terms of violence against women. We know when we're looking at an intersectional level of um, COVID-19, what's happening when, when women also are being uh, asked to social distance and they're not getting support. We understand that there's relationships that are not very good with police in African indigenous homes and what happens when people are now um, social distancing and those, those the programs have not thought about these types of um, issues. I also wanna quickly talk as a mental health practitioner, I'm also a therapist in terms of the mental health impact. We know that dealing with colonialism and uh, intersectional violence, racism, anti-black racism, anti-indigenous racism on a daily basis impact our mental health. And we know that now we're dealing with COVID-19 and increased disparities and increased um, intense, intensified um, experiences, we know that the mental health, our mental health is not being addressed. Mental health is talked about based on anxiety, based on the pandemic, but it's not talked about based on colonial violence and continued health disparities in our communities. Also in terms of risk based on violence, uh, there's a whole conversation about the importance of wearing masks and people are encouraged to wear masks, yet there's no policy or process in terms of how wearing masks for some folks will be used. For example, uh, racial profiling and racial carding. I know some you know, African men and some indigenous men who will not wear masks because of the profiling and carding they've experienced in Canada already. So wearing masks, which we're being told is great to support you know, uh, against COVID-19 is actually a risk for some of us based on anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism. Uh, race, wage increases are not covering low-paying low paying essential workers such as PSWs and other workers. And we know that uh, in our communities, our wages are already quite low. And by not having policies covering uh, essential workers is really uh, impacting our communities. So looking now uh, briefly at the current COVID response, looking at the five moral principles. So maleficence, caused, it caused more harm, COVID-19. There's lack of PPE for racialized workers and essential workers who are dealing with low paying jobs or jobs such as PSW cleaners and don't have the, the decision-making power. And we can see the latest cases of, the P, of two PSWs, one of Asian descent and one of African descent in Toronto who passed away from COVID recently. Also race-based data, we're not collecting it. And we were, were arguing, there's arguments about why race-based data should be collected and, and leaders are being very problematic and saying it's not a risk in a country that we know is built and sustained on colonial violence and racism and other intersectional violence. Also in terms of resources, um, harm, there's cause, cause, cause no harm or cause more harm is the lack of resources in indigenous, black and racialized communities, increasing inequities and little protection for incarcerated are all examples. Beneficence did not promote the welfare of marginalized people. So look, in, looking at our current COVID response, we did not, or the, the leaders of our country did not promote the welfare of marginalized people, it's quite clear. In terms of utility, actions cause the greatest benefit to the least amount of people and the greatest harm to the largest number of people. For example, there's a six month mortgage freeze, but no rent freeze. We know that the majority of our populations are dealing with housing disparities. So therefore there's more disparities based on not having the money to pay rent and not having any uh, legislation to support it. Distributive justice, folks who are laboring the most for the least pay are not protected. And I gave early examples of PSWs and cleaners in the hospital and people working in the grocery store. We can see the, the amounts of people who are getting um, um, COVID-19. COVID Autonomy, 
how can we have autonomy when racial profiling exists and it's still happening, carding is still happening and increased police surveillance is actually creating more risk for our community. With all of what I spoke about, so I talked about the historical context before COVID, the current context before COVID and the inequities and health disparities in African, Indigenous and racialized folks' lives. Then I talked about how during COVID, this has intensified and increased more health disparities and it's impacted Indigenous, African and racialized folks' lives. I wanna now talk about a new definition of ethics that I think is really important to look at if we're going to challenge some of these systemic ethical problems. So my new definition of ethics is like this, or sounds like this. Ideologies, policies, and practices that examine the historical and current day colonial and intersectional violence and injustices of governments, structures, individuals, and groups. Giving, giving moral judgment to stop the inhumane treatment through omission or surveillance of known realities of cruelty and unjust experiences of Black, Indigenous, racialized, and marginalized populations. Ethical conduct must include an intersectional, decolonizing practice by providing reconciliation and reparations to create morally just outcomes to address any wrongdoings and to denounce what is morally wrong and uphold what is morally right through direct anti-racist, anti-violence action in societies. And I want, now want to leave you with how to challenge and change our current unethical responses to COVID-19 in the lives of Black, Indigenous, racialized, and marginalized communities. For the work that we do in the anti-violence and anti-racist communities is about hope and resistance. So number one, we need to recognize that unethical relations exist between the Canadian state and racialized populations, African, Indigenous, and marginalized. And that the government, public health, and media are all responsible and can and, and need to change in terms of, of what, the, what they do or what they don't do and how they represent our communities. Number two, we need to collect race-based and intersectional data that can be analyzed by communities who are impacted by unethical practices for interventions by and for our communities to actually provide supports. Give us the resources, we will use them. Number three, make ethical decisions that support the health and safety of marginalized populations, not further hindering them. It is not only about ventilator allocation, even though that is critical. And number four, understanding the impact of COVID-19 on our community's health and committing to do and act differently is critical to dealing with COVID-19 and the life in the lives of Black, Indigenous, racialized, and marginalized communities. Thank you so much.